my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I had gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the, the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment... For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and striving after the wind. And then let's go over to Mark. 
Mark chapter 10. We pick up on verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Well, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. So what is the good life? What does it mean to live the good life? Take a moment, turn to the person next to you and say, this is my definition of the good life, and give them a definition. And if you're not sitting next to somebody, find somebody. Very quickly, you know, what's your definition of the good life? What does it mean to live the good life? How do we define it? How do we know what it is? Do you know, in a sense, this was the question that the young man who came to Jesus was asking. Now, we, we can look at that question and think that he was asking initially, okay, how am I going to be saved? How do I go to heaven? You know, how do I live forever? Because he comes up and says, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so uh, you, can, you can kind of think, okay, he's talking about salvation, he's talking about heaven, but actually, I think he was talking about something more than that. Yes, he was talking about that, because his understanding would have been part of that, but effectively, what he was saying to Jesus is, teacher, tell me how to lead the good life. Tell me how to have the good life. Tell me how to live the good life. Because I want to live the good life. And you know, over the years, I have never met a single person who didn't want to live a good life. You know, in fact, uh, I love that uh, you might remember the sitcom 
uh, way, many years ago here in the UK called The Good Life. Uh, great sitcom if you can ever look it up and see some of the older episodes. It's really fun. You know, because they were trying to, to lead the good life. And they were trying to discover what the good life was. And it just so happened that their name was good. And, and so that's what they were trying to do. Most people want to lead the good life. Anybody here not want to have a good life? Is there somebody here that would like to have a life that's filled with misery and pain and joyless and not really good at all? Anybody? You sure? Just checking. Now's your chance. No, we want to leave, lead the good life. Well, then how do we live the good life? That was the question that this young man was asking Jesus. <clears throat> how do I lead the good life? Now, Jesus started him with something really, really important that we're going to come back to in a moment. But it's this. Why do you call me good? Because there's no one who is good except God. Now it's important to remember, that's what we've been talking about the last few months. The goodness of God. Rejoice the Lord is good, we've been saying. God is good. God does good. God gives good. God superintends good. God plans good for us. God gives us a good creation to enjoy. God gives us His good spirit. God gives us a good salvation in order to give us a good life. That's the call. That's the passion. That's the drive. That's the question. It's the good life. The good life. And Jesus is pointing to the guy and saying, hey, the good life only comes from God. It only comes from God. Now, oh, several hundred years before Jesus, there was a guy named Solomon who was asking himself the same question. What is the good life? What is the good life? And the entirety of his book called Ecclesiastes, which was written most likely toward the end of Solomon's life, after he'd really messed up a lot of things, <clears throat> Ecclesiastes was Solomon's reflection on what constitutes the good life. Uh, and Solomon had, an, if you will, an almost enviable position because unlike most of us, you know, if I wanted to define the good life as living on a yacht, that's well outside of my abilities. As most of you know, City Temple doesn't pay me that much. We don't have that much to pay me. So, uh, But Solomon, on the other hand, here was a guy, he was the wealthiest king ever in the history of Israel. God blessed him abundantly. He had everything he could possibly want. Most of his life he had peace. And so Solomon was there, and he had everything he wanted, and God also gave him wisdom. Remember, God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon said, well, I want wisdom. I want to have wisdom. I want to live my life by wisdom. And so God said, that's a great answer. I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you everything else you want. So here's Solomon. He's at the end of his life and he's been asking himself, what is the good life? And this passage we read in Ecclesiastes 
involves Solomon's attempts to come to an understanding of what is the good life. Now, one of the big things in, in, our, in our world today, people, many people, will define the good life as having pleasure and not pain. So the more pleasure I have, the better my life is. So the good life is the life of pleasure. If I can have the food that I want, if I can have the shelter that I want, if I can have, you know, the, the noogie that I want. Do you know the word noogie? You know, the, the noogie that I want, uh, you know, the, the relationships that I want, the money that I want, uh, the pleasure that I want, I'm going to have the good life. But here's Solomon. He says, you know, I'm testing this. And Solomon goes and he tries it out and he, he did everything. He had laughter. He had the best stand, Jewish stand-up comedians that there, there were. And they came, and they would tell the jokes, and he would laugh, and he would have a great time with them. And, uh, oh, and wine. Man, the guy had the best quality wine. None of that cheap stuff for Solomon. He could have the best quality wine, and he did wine, and he drank, and, and he enjoyed that. He got drunk. Uh, if he'd had drugs, he might have used drugs. And he came and said, you know... I've done all this, and it's empty. It's vanity. And the word vanity means if you breathe out in the cold air, you know how you see your breath? And you see your breath for a moment, and then it's gone? That's what vanity literally means. So I'm, I'm pleasure. Pleasure is not the source of the good life. Pleasure is not the source of the good life. Okay, so I'm going to do a lot of stuff. You know, I'm going to be the arch-environmentalist. I'm going to go seriously green and I'm going to have big houses, you know, because maybe having a big house and having all that stuff that I want uh, is going to be the good life. So what he, he does, he, he plants houses, he builds houses, plants vineyards. He made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. He made pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Isn't that amazing? He did all this stuff, but it wasn't the good life. Said it's kind of vanity. So then what does he do? He talks about slaves here. But our modern day equivalent was he built a mega business. You know, he was a guy, he built effectively, his business empire would have been more than Donald Trump's business empire. He had this empire filled with workers, filled with people at his beck and call, so he got many possessions. He had, he had flocks. He had herds. He had silver. He had gold. He had the treasure greater than most kings, certainly more than Donald Trump, certainly more than probably Bill Gates, who's the world's richest man, was, was Solomon at that time. And yet, even though many people today say that's the good life, he said, no, it's not. That's vanity. So then he goes you know, through the, the, the physical pleasure and does that, and he has many concubines. And yet, that's not the good life. Uh, and so he did everything that he could possibly do. He didn't withhold from himself anything, every pleasure, everything he could do. He, uh, the only thing, he enjoyed doing some of the work. But he said, you know, there's nothing to be gained under the sun. Now notice, throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses under the sun and under the heaven, or under heaven, many times. It's the same phrase. Under the sun, under the heavens. The heavens is a, the Hebrew word meaning the skies above. 
And so he's talking about what we do on the earth. He's looking at this from a purely earthly perspective, a worldly perspective, and that's important to understand as you look at Solomon there. So then, what does he do? He says, okay, it's not wealth, it's not money, it's not possessions, it's it's not sex, it's not pleasure. Uh, That's not the good life. You cannot get the good life from these things. Okay, education. That's the good life. I mean, many people today, they say, we need to have education. We need to get rid of illiteracy, which I agree with. Uh, We need everybody to be math literate and and language literate, uh, which is great. It's a good thing. And, and, And then if everybody had literacy, then we can lead the good life. So he got all the wealth and, and that he, uh, all the wisdom he possibly could. He had the equivalent of multiple PhDs because of his level of wisdom. They didn't have universities then like we do now. But he would have had the equivalent of multiple PhDs. And, you know, and he said, you know what? It's better to be wise than to be foolish. Just like it's better to be sighted than it is to be blind. It's better to be wise than to be foolish. That's good. But you know, if you get wise, if you get smarter, it's going to be worse for you. It's going to, there's, there's a lot of struggles. There are a lot of problems that come with that. Uh, but it's still better to be smart than it is not to be. Uh, and so that, that's a good thing. It's certainly better to be wise than to be foolish. But you know what? Wise people and foolish people, they both do one thing, die. And then what happens to all that wisdom and all that education when you're dead? You know, he said earlier of the making of books, there is no end. You know, so you say, I put it all in a book, but you know how many books have been forgotten? Really good books have been totally forgotten, even books from 100 years ago. He said, it's, it's senseless, it's foolishness, it doesn't work. Okay, now I know what I'll do. I will make a lot so I can leave it for my kids. Or I can leave it for other people. I can make a better society, I can make billions of pounds and give everything away. And then it's going to be better. I was just reading about uh, an American guy who had made a multi-billion pound fortune who made a commitment that he was going to give it all away before he died. And uh, he's about 85, and about a week ago he gave $7 million to a university in the United States. And now he only has, uh, after having over $8 billion, he now has just about $2 million, and he lives in a small flat. And he's done that. And Solomon thought, maybe I can do that. But guess what? Solomon says, you know, I might leave this money to an imbecile. What if I leave it to a kid and, and they waste it on drugs? Uh, or, you know, what if it's mismanaged? Do you think George Washington, the first president of the United States, looking down to see the succession of presidents that would come after him, culminating in our next president, Donald Trump, do you think he would have continued to say, why am I doing this? I'll just go into retirement somewhere. Because you don't know who you're leaving it to. And so trying to leave a legacy. A lot of time in my my life I thought, I'd like to leave a legacy. And we think we'll leave a legacy in our kids or or a legacy with our funds or something like that. Solomon looks at that and says, it's foolishness. It's vanity. That's not the good life. Of course it's good to leave a legacy. 
But you don't know who you're leaving it to. You don't know. You, 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 have no, you have no sense of that. And somebody else will enjoy it. And you'll work, and there'll be a lot of frustration, vexation, anxiety in your heart. You'll stay up at night. The more money you get, the more you'll worry about it, and on and on and on. And so what's Solomon's conclusion? All of the things, notice what he says here, everything that in this society today, right now in London, that if you go out and talk to the average person on the street and you ask them, what is the good life? Everything that almost everybody will say was tried by Solomon and he says, none of this is the good life. Absolutely none of this is the good life. Now you might think, well, okay, that's a real Old Testament perspective, but it's not. You know, you look at the disciples there in the story with Jesus, and he tells the rich young ruler, he says, man, guy, you've done everything. It's really cool, except there's one thing. You know, you've kept all those commandments, except there's one little bitty thing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Now, Jesus wasn't laying down a principle that we all have to sell everything we have and give to the poor. What he was showing by his question, his challenge to the young man, is that the young man did have a God before the one true living God, which was his money. That he hadn't really kept the first commandment of the ten, of the big ten. He kept a lot of the others, he hadn't kept the first. And so the young guy walks away, Jesus loved him, because, man... He, he, was a, he was a cool, he was a great, great guy. And he goes away and he says, man, how hard it is for somebody with wealth to get into the kingdom. I noticed the disciples said, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? That can't possibly be. In fact, it's very, very hard for a rich person to get into the, the kingdom. And I said, no, no, that can't possibly be the case. Because their understanding was that a wealthy person must be being blessed by God and therefore has God's approval and therefore is living a good life. So the, their assumption was that simply because you had money, you must be living a good life that's been blessed by God. And Jesus says, no, that's not the case. And, you know, we find one other thing here, too, that's not the good life, and that's religious rules. Following religious stuff is not the good life. Because this guy had done almost all the religious stuff and had a lot of religious commitment. None of this was the good life. None of it. Not religion. Not wealth. Not pleasure. Not legacy. Not education. Not ease. None of it is the good life. None of it. So what's the good life? This is what Solomon tells us. There is nothing better, nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now toil here does not necessarily mean job, uh, although it would include your job. But Solomon says, eat and drink and enjoy what you do. 
Live for the enjoyment of what you're doing. Do what you enjoy, enjoy what you do, because this is from the hand of God. Because apart from God, and this is the key for Solomon, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? In other words, we eat, we drink, we find enjoyment in our work in a life lived in reference to God. In a life that comes from God and is given to God. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. When we please God, we get wisdom, we get knowledge, we get joy, and that's some of the highest things we can possibly have. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. Eat and drink and find enjoyment in your toil and a life lived in reference to God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He kind of sums up here and he says, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, you know, it's, it's not possible for you to lead the good life in and of yourself. For man, this is not possible. But with God, it is possible. With God, everything is possible. And Jesus said, truly I say, there's no one who's left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive many more. And you'll get persecutions too. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to lead the good life, you lead that good life as his follower in a life lived in reference to God, enjoying the toil that God has given you, finding enjoyment in it, and you will find the good life. You'll find the good life. The good life ultimately is not a life that's lived under the sun. It's not a life that's lived just simply in reference with what's happening around us, with what goes on on this little green planet of ours, or blue planet of ours, green-blue-ish planet of ours. The good life certainly is lived out on this planet, but it's lived in reference to God through Jesus Christ seeking to please God with our lives and finding enjoyment in everything that God gives us to do, whether it's in our work, whether it's working with our family, whether it's the community efforts that we make, the volunteering that we do, the things that, the service we do in the context of, of the people of God, the service we do in the context of government, our communities, Finding enjoyment in that as we live that in reference to God is the foundation for the good life because ultimately the genuinely good life comes only from God through Jesus Christ. In the coming weeks, we're going to look more and more about different facets of the good life, what it means to lead the good life and how the good life flows to us from God through Jesus Christ. For now, God invites us to recommit ourselves to following Him. To jump into life with both feet. To jump into life 
100%, to make a 100% commitment to follow Jesus, to make a 100% commitment to live our life in reference to God in everything we do, knowing that as we do, God will lead us in to the good life. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for showing us in your word through wise experience what it is to lead the good life. Lord, we we come to you today knowing that sometimes life doesn't feel good. Life doesn't seem good. But we come to you in faith that when life is lived in reference to you, life is good. And that you will work and move in our lives to bring good. And we thank you and we praise you and we honor you for it. Now, Lord, as we worship you in this time, in this place, we recommit ourselves to following you. What must we do to inherit the good life? We know we need to follow you 100%. And so by your Spirit, I pray that you would enable us to do that anew. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.